services you know, are funny in a way because you come here and, and you might have been, I don't know, you might have been dragged here this morning by someone else and wondering what on earth you're doing here and all that sort of stuff. And, and we come and it's, it's fun and Easter Sunday's always got this note of celebration and it's, it's victory and it's, it's, we, it's good. It's fun to celebrate new life and faith and, 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 and hope and all of these things. But in the middle of it all, there is this uncomfortable reality, this, this awkward concept that we're celebrating a guy who was dead and then came back to life. And for a lot of you, for a lot of people, that's just a bit too much to stomach. I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to, doesn't it? Easter, Easter Sunday, we're celebrating a guy who was dead, and then he came back to life. And that's a problem because most of you are fairly well-educated people. And uh, you went to school. And you did fifth form science. And you did human biology. And, and, and the first question on the exam was, if a person's been dead for three days, can they come back to life? And if you answered yes, you got it wrong. And that's what you were taught in school. But then you come into church, and you got a whole bunch of these people celebrating this guy who was dead, and then somehow came back to life again. And it just—it's that's hard to square away with with science, with with what we know of the laws of biology. It, it doesn't work. And, and sometimes what happens is people like me, um, we, we do this, this clever little acrobatic trick with Jesus' resurrection to make it a little bit more palatable on Easter Sunday. And you might have heard this or you might have read it. Every Easter there's always a little piece in the Herald or something that goes along these lines. Maybe uh, the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't actually a physical have you heard this? It wasn't actually a physical, like not a, not a bodily rising from the dead. It was just a spiritual resurrection. So it was just kind of like, a, you know, a, a rising of faith. And every time someone believes, that's the resurrection. It's this dawning of faith in the human heart. It's a cute theory. But the problem is, that's not what any of Jesus' original followers actually believed. That's not what any of the guys who walked with Jesus and learned from him and then went on to start this movement based around him after he had died believed. That, that's not what they taught. They, they, they believed that there had been some kind of physical bodily rising from the dead. What you find is people like the Apostle Paul, Paul of Tarsus, writing about the middle of the first century to, to another church in the Mediterranean, and he says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That's, uh, Paul didn't really pull any punches on that. You know, he doesn't say, well, you know, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, it's not the end of the world. You know, I mean, we can still carry on believing and, and we should keep this thing alive and keep the Jesus movement going because he was a good guy and he still taught good things and he was a great moral teacher. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, it, I'm going back to my crossword. Now, if the resurrection didn't happen, it's game over. If that one historical fact is inaccurate, there is no Christian faith. It's lights out, close the doors, let's go back to our bingo. It's just, it's not worth it. You know, you, you, you cannot construct the Christian story. You cannot construct a Christian worldview apart from the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's just the way it is. Believe it or not, that, that, that the whole thing hangs on that, which kind of intensifies the problem because 
Christians hang a lot on the resurrection. You know I mean, you, you don't see Paul hedging his bets. And you don't see people who take the text of the Bible seriously hedging their bets on this. It, it's basically everything is loaded onto that. Everything is stacked onto the historical reality of this one guy who was dead and then came back to life. And that makes it a problem because a lot of people think that is, that's, impo- that's impossible. That is historically, biologically impossible, can't have happened. So we've got a problem. But the resurrection, when, when you step back from it, this, this idea of Jesus rising from the dead, this idea of the resurrection, it's only really a problem from within one particular worldview. If you subscribe to the worldview of naturalism, and you might even without realizing it, if you believe that, that matter, physical matter, is all that there ever was, is, and will be, if you think that, that that's, all, that's all there is, that the physical cosmos, that's, that's the whole deal, then that'll very quickly lead you to the conclusion that a man could not rise from the dead. That's, that's impossible. That, that there is no way the resurrection could have happened. But what you at least have to acknowledge is that's not so much a product of the event itself not happening. That's a result of the worldview you hold. That's a result of you having a particular way of looking at the world, a particular view, a particular filter by which you interpret reality, the view of naturalism, where these kinds of things just can't happen. They're disallowed by prior assumptions you hold, that physical matter is all there is, was, and ever will be. But if you allow, if you at least allow the possibility that there could be a creator, that perhaps what we can see and touch and taste is not all there is, that perhaps there is a designer, perhaps there is a creator, and that that creator would reserve the right to intervene in the physical world from time to time as he or she pleased, and even if necessary, suspend the physical biological laws that they had set in place, then this idea of the resurrection comes back on the table. It comes back into play. And so if you bump up against this idea of the resurrection, it may not be that the problem is with the resurrection. The problem may be with your worldview. The problem may be with the way you're approaching it. And rather than discounting the event because it doesn't fit with your view of the world, maybe have another look at your worldview. And maybe ask yourself if your way of viewing the world and your way of interpreting reality can best accommodate what's actually happened. And what the biblical story does is invites us to consider another worldview, a worldview whereby there is a loving God who breathed life into this cosmos and often intervenes in the events of earth. And therefore, this idea of Jesus being raised from the dead, maybe it's extraordinary, maybe it's incredibly unusual, maybe it's shocking, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. If there is indeed some supernatural presence, it's within the realm of possibility. Now you can say, all right, well, well okay, let, let's assume for a minute that the resurrection took place. But, but so what, right? Who cares? Honestly, if, if that was an event that happened a couple of thousand years ago and it happened on the other side of the world, who cares? What possible relevance 
does that have to our lives? Even if it happened, even if this guy got touched by an angel or whatever way back when and he came back from death to life, perhaps let's just say it happened. What does it matter? How does it affect us? Well, Jesus said something interesting. He said a lot of interesting things, but there was one thing he said in particular a couple of weeks before he died that takes on a whole world of new meaning if, in fact, he was raised from the dead. He says this in Mark chapter 10, just one little verse. He's he's saying a lot of different things here, but then he speaks to his disciples, his followers, and he says these words in verse 45. For even the Son of Man, that's, that's a phrase Jesus used to describe himself. He called himself the Son of Man. That's, that's just his, his nickname. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that idea of ransom, there's, there's a little bit of cultural um, misunderstanding that goes on because when you think of ransom, what do you think of? Something criminal. You think of kidnapping. You think of someone held hostage, used to extort money from another person. That's what we think of, right? That's what ransom is in our context. But, but the idea of ransoming in Jesus' day, it wasn't a criminal activity at all. It was tied up with the practice of slavery, which was a perfectly accepted social convention in Jesus' day. It doesn't mean it's right, but it was part and parcel of life in the Mediterranean world that Jesus lived in, in the first century. And what would happen is that Roman armies would go out to war and they would conquer foreign nations, tribes, people groups, and they would take a whole lot of prisoners of war. And then these prisoners of war would be passed on to slave merchants who would bring all these prisoners back and they would line them up in the marketplaces, in the slave markets, back home. And you'd have these wealthy landowners who would come out and these benefactors and these aristocrats and wealthy patrons, and they would come and look at all these slaves lined up in the slave markets. And they would pay a purchase price so that they could buy this slave here and this one here and these three over here. And there would be the slave trade that goes on. And occasionally you would get a benefactor or a landowner who was also particularly benevolent. And they would come along and they may buy one or two slaves, but they would pay a price that wasn't a usual purchase price for a slave. This was called a lutron which is translated ransom in English. And this Lutron, it was, the, it was the regular price that you would pay to buy a slave, but when you paid that amount, when you paid the Lutron, rather than simply becoming your slave, that slave went free. So out of sheer benevolence, you would have a benefactor who pays a Lutron so that that slave no longer had to, to live a life of slavery but could be instantly emancipated and they would be free to enjoy life as a freed person in that society, which was a massive shift, obviously, in the class structure. Now, in view of that, come back to what Jesus says. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a lutron, as a ransom for many people. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give my life I'm going, to, I'm going to go through death. I'm, I'm going to die, and my death is going to function like a ransom payment to set other people free. My death is going to be this price that's paid to purchase liberation, to purchase freedom for other people. 
And you might not think that applies to you. Because you and I sit here and we think, well, that, that's not me. Obviously, I'm not a prisoner. I'm not a slave. I'm free. I saw an interesting documentary the other day on TV. I don't know whether you saw it. It was one of those programs, Sunday or 60 Minutes or one of those. And it was about a, a, a religious cult somewhere in New Zealand. Can't remember where. And this cult, you know, typical religious cult, they had uh, all these weird, crazy practices. And there was a strong cult leader who brainwashed everyone into uh, believing all this stuff. And the guys, you know, wore these crazy old school suits. And the women wore these blue dresses down to the ground. That's like the number one sign of a cult, by the way. You see those blue dresses, man. You've got to run. It's like, <laughs> that's bad news right there. So they all had these blue dresses on, and there's this cultish thing. And uh, the interesting thing about this particular cult is these people were free to leave any time. Not always the way with, with these kinds of cults, but these people could just walk out. They could just leave. And several members of one family did. And, of course, when they left, they, they realized the entrapment that they'd experienced in this commune, in this cult. And they went back to try and, and help other family members and friends back in this commune understand how trapped they were, how enslaved they were, how imprisoned they were. But these people that were back there living it, they just couldn't see. They really believed that this was the best life possible for them. They really believed this was freedom. This was life as it was meant to be lived. And you, and you have this perspective from the outside looking in of like, don't you just get it? But they couldn't see it. And you see the frustration and the confusion from these family members who had moved from slavery to freedom, true freedom, and couldn't understand why these people couldn't see the freedom that was possible. And sociologists usually associate that stuff with religious cults only, but it's just as prevalent among non-religious people. You know, you and I think we're free because we get to choose our job, we get to choose our car, we get to choose our friends, we get to choose what type of hamburger you're going to have at Wendy's. You know, we get to make these kinds of decisions, right? And so we think, well, we're free. I'm an autonomous moral agent. Maybe we're not as free as we think we are. You, we can make decisions, we can do things, we can choose between alternatives, but when you start to peel back the layers, what you realize, underneath, there's a whole lot of things that we are enslaved to. There's a whole lot of things that we are prisoners to. Many of us are slaves to our past. We're slaves to abuse, we're sl slaves to neglect, we're slaves to failures and mistakes that we've made and they just haunt us and they entangle us and they hinder us and they eat us up and we don't seem to be able to move on. We're slaves. Some of us are slaves to other people, other people's expectations, other people's approval. We can be slaves to our own compulsive behaviors, our own habits, our own moods, our own emotions, our own addictions, our own fears and anxieties and depression and all of these things, all of them have the power to enslave you and entrap you and hold you captive. And what Jesus came to show us is that all of those things that hold us in chains, they are only symptomatic of the deeper problem we have that you and I are disconnected from God. We would rather eke out an existence on our own over here. We can do it. I can manage. And the times that we have allowed God in, it's been on our terms. It's been at my discretion. And we've brought God down to my size. Maybe you've done this. We've all done it. A manageable God. A God whom I can handle. A tame God. 
A God made in my image, not the other way around. A God who works for me. It's my religion, if it's a religion at all, and it's on my terms. This is my God, and he serves me like the genie in the bottle. That's the type of God, if we've allowed him in at all. But for so many Kiwis, just through ignoring, just through suppressing, just through getting on with getting on, we've resisted the influence of the God who created us, who loves us, and who designed us to exist in relationship with him. And Jesus says, that makes you a slave. Because it places us in this category of separation from our own created purpose. That's why sometimes you have that niggling feeling, there must be more to life than this. That's why you have that niggling feeling sometimes, this whole thing just seems so futile, and you seem outside of where it's really at. That's because you're living outside of your own created purpose. And that makes you a prisoner. Jesus says, I've come to give my life as a ransom payment to set you free. Now, anybody could say that, couldn't they? I mean, I could say that. I could say, Reuben has come to give his life a ransom for many people. And I probably wouldn't have this job very long. <laughs> but I might get a few followers, a few people who really believe he's the one. He has come to set us free. And then I would eventually die, and you'd all wonder, well, did it work? Don't feel any different. Did, was he really? Did he? Did he? Did he set me free? How would we know? How would you know? See, this is the thing. About a about hundred years after Jesus lived and died, in AD 135, Jesus died AD 33. In AD 135, there was another guy doing a similar thing. This guy's name was Simeon ben Kosaba, And he went around telling everybody he was the one. He's the Messiah, the Savior, the one come to free, come to, you know, I'm bringing liberation, uh, particularly in the Israel context. But, you know, he was the, he was the one. He was going to free people, set them free. And he gained a whole bunch of followers. And then he died. And when you read the, the historical sources, when Simeon ben Kosaba died, nobody went around saying, wow, he really was the one. Look at that, he's died. That's amazing. It, clearly, he, he meant what he said. No, when he died, everybody packed their bags and went home. Because they concluded, well, I guess he wasn't. That was a good ride. It was a good trip, but now it's over. And in fact, this is exactly what happens with Jesus. When Jesus died, on that Friday, none of his followers said, wow, look at that, he's died. He must have been the one. Oh, they went home dejected. They went home depressed. That Saturday, in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they were thoroughly discouraged. They were utterly deflated. And even there's an interesting little account in, in the book of Luke. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he's walking along the road, and there's a couple of guys that don't recognize him, and they're talking about him. And they make this, this little comment, they say, you know, we thought he was the one. Talking about Jesus. They say, hey, we thought he was the one. But he can't have been. That's what they conclude. That's what Jesus' followers concluded. It's been a great ride, this whole Jesus movement, but you know what? 
You don't get hung up on a cross to die if you're ultimately the one who's come to set people free. Doesn't happen. And even these women who went to the tomb on Sunday morning with these spices, they didn't go expecting to see Jesus resurrected. They didn't go there because, well, look, you know, he said he was going to raise on the third day. It's about time. No, they went there with spices to anoint him for burial because that's what you did with a dead body. It was in the tomb. They went there expecting to see Jesus, the body, wrapped in linen, and there he would be. And what they saw on that Easter Sunday morning surprised them as much as it might surprise you. They saw there was no body there. The tomb, the stone had been rolled away. There was only one guy there, an angel, who said he's not here, he's risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Take off and he'll meet you up north in Galilee. And you see, if Jesus has risen, if Jesus has been raised physically, bodily from the dead, then that changes everything. Because suddenly, he's not just another crackpot prophet making these grandiose claims. Suddenly, he's just not another would-be Messiah. And there were plenty of them running around in the first century. He's not just another guy shooting off his mouth, telling everybody how wonderful he is. All of a sudden, this is a totally different category. If Jesus has been raised from the dead by the power of God, then he really is who he said he is, the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus vindicates what Jesus has been saying all along. The resurrection of Jesus authenticates what Jesus had been teaching people the whole way through, including this little saying where he says, the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that really is true. Jesus really did come and his death really was a ransom payment to set you and I free. You say, but how? How could that possibly happen? How can one guy die over here and that death somehow affect another person over here? Doesn't, I don't get it. And if Jesus was just another Joe Schmo average bloke, then it is hard to see how his death could have any possible relevance for anyone other than himself. But if there's one thing that Jesus' resurrection does, it's pretty compelling proof that he wasn't just another Joe Schmo. What his resurrection vindicates is the fact that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. That Jesus was identified with God himself. That's not just a title that later generations of bishops and church leaders put on him. Don't believe everything Dan Brown tells you. Read the Gospels. You read the texts yourself and you see Jesus there identifying himself with the Father. I and the Father are one. Someone says to him, are you the Son of God? He says, yes, I am. He doesn't shirk from it. He doesn't hide from it. He identifies himself as the Son of God. And if Jesus is identified with God himself, if Jesus is the Son of God, then his resurrection is not just this one thing that affected one person at one moment in time. All of a sudden, it's a bigger deal. All of a sudden, what we're dealing with, it's not just that Jesus paid a ransom for you and I. It's that Jesus was the ransom paid by God. Do you see the difference? This is not just Jesus the man paying a ransom somehow for you and I. This is Jesus was the ransom 
paid by God. And what happened on the cross is this. God himself, you keep that metaphor of the slave market in your mind. God himself is this benevolent benefactor, this benevolent God who comes into the slave market where you and I are lined up. And rather than just paying a sum of money so that we can remain slaves, God, through sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die, to suffer and die. And make no mistake, it was God's will that he suffer and die. Not an accident, not a fluke of history. This was the orchestrated plan of God. And by doing precisely that, allowing his son to suffer there, hang there, die there, God paid for you and I a lutron. He paid that ransom so that you and I could be set free. Set free from ourselves, set free from our sin, our, our wrongdoing, set free from that separation that leads us only to death. That's ultimately what we deserve. That's ultimately where we're heading. Life away from God, life apart from God. God sent His Son to purchase for us freedom from all that. Freedom from slavery, freedom from imprisonment, freedom from just a futile, purposeless, meaningless life, and freedom for forgiveness, freedom for life with God, freedom for a reclaiming of our own created intent and a stepping back into that plan for which we were purposed and fashioned, life with God, freedom for a reclaiming of our own humanity that we would know again what it is to be truly human, to be aligned with the God who created us. Freedom from all those stupid things you and I have done that just checker our past and haunt us in the present. Freedom from all that. Not a fresh start, but an entirely new slate to begin with. An entirely new beginning. That's the freedom that God has purchased for you on the cross and through the empty tomb. And the only question that, that then really remains is, how do I get my arms around this? You, you can look at all this stuff that God's done for you. We've talked about the resurrection and, 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 and this ransom idea. And, and instinctively, we can think, man, you know, I, obviously I've got to do something here to get in on this. What, what do I need to do? do I, should, I, should I pray this particular prayer? Should I, uh, you know, what, what do I do? Do I go to church, say some Hail Marys? Read, uh, you know, repay every wrong that I've ever committed. What, 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 what do I st where do I start? A and God is, is simply saying, just be with me. You know, just, just be present with me. Because this is about a relationship. It's not this religious ritual. It's not this clinical old ceremonial relationship. This is a living, breathing relationship between two personal beings. Vastly different personal beings, but still two personal beings, you and God. Two beings that feel and think and relate and connect. This is about being present with God, just as He is present with you. And that starts in the most simple and practical of ways, simply by talking to Him. Simply by beginning a conversation with God. You say, well, what, what do I say? How do I address him? Where do I start? Where do, how, where do, how do I stand? What do I wear? How, which direction should I face? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just not going to give you a formula for it. There is no script. 
There is no textbook because this is about your relationship with God. And honestly, you know, if, 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 if this morning, if you're indifferent, if this is just washing over you, another Easter service, just get me through it because I'm heading to the family lunch, and, and you're just like, your heart is just a million miles away from all this stuff. You know, you could pray the most grandiose prayer, the most elaborate words. It's not going to mean a thing. You can sing the songs, you can say the stuff. It's not going to mean anything. But if this morning your heart is soft towards God, if this morning this means something to you and this is real to you and this is resonating with you, and maybe for the first time things are coming into focus for you, and you're seeing some of these issues clearer than you've ever seen them before, and you realize, yeah, I need this. He did this for me and I need to respond, then you could pray the most bam, the bumbling, rambling prayer in the world, and God would still see that soft heart. And he'll say, I'll take it. You're mine. Because he's interested in where your heart is with him. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.